Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. We must then approach the statues of the gods closely as we possibly can in order to prove from their very appearance that they are inseparably associated with error. For their forms are unmistakably stamped with the characteristic marks of the daimones, the spirits. At least, if one were to go round inspecting the paintings and statues, he would immediately recognize your gods from their undignified figures. The pyre indicates Heracles, and if one sees a woman represented naked, he understands it is golden Aphrodite. So the well-known Pygmalion of Kypros fell in love with an ivory statue— it was of Aphrodite and was naked. The man of Kypros is captivated by its shapeliness and embraces the statue. This is related by Philostephanos. There was also an Aphrodite in Cnidos, made of marble and beautiful. Another man fell in love with this and has intercourse with the marble, as Poseidipus relates. The account of the first author is in his book on Kypros, that of the second in his book on Cnidos. Such strength had art to beguile that it became for amorous men a guide to the pit of destruction. Now craftsmanship is powerful, but it cannot beguile a rational being, nor yet those who have lived according to reason. They say that a maiden once fell in love with an image, and a beautiful youth with a Canadian statue, but it was their sight that was beguiled by the art, for no man in his senses would have embraced the statue of a goddess, or have been buried with a lifeless paramour, or have fallen in love with the daimone and a stone.
Hi, hello there and welcome. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I am that host of yours, she who is finally attempting a regular scripted episode again. I'm Liv. Now I had quite the adventure deciding on today's episode. I'm going to relay it to you. It's falling right before Valentine's Day, and you all know how much I love a theme. So I thought I'd go looking for a romance story from Greek myth, in case there's any I missed or wanted to dive deeper into. So first I do a little Google search, see what the varied listicles think are Greek myth's most romantic stories. And that's, of course, where you get things like Hyacinthus and Apollo, you know, the one where the guy gets killed by the frisbee, or Odysseus and Penelope. You know, the one where the guy is gone for 20 years and sleeps with a bunch of other women before coming home and tricking his wife. (laughs) Needless to say, not quite the romances I was hoping for. The list I did look at, though, um, it listed Iphissa Nianthi, which of course is a favorite of mine. Um, It's it's Roman, so it doesn't count with what I wanted, but, and you know, I've already told it, Uh, which is where this is going because this list was made exciting by the fact that this random website that I clicked on uh, used my episode on Iphis and Ianthi to describe the list. Anyway, uh, at least I got an ego boost out of it, even if it was deeply unhelpful. But then I turned to Twitter. And no, I will not call it X. I asked for romance stories from Greek myth that don't end in death. And I got... Well, basically I got confirmation that this doesn't exist, at least in the way that I want it. And now you might be thinking, Liv, now, 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 here are some obvious examples to the contrary. And to that I say... Let's look at some of those. See, I'm not saying there aren't happy couples in Greek myth, but instead that there aren't romance stories that feature happy endings. And Greek myth is the key. So Cupid and Psyche doesn't count. People were naming couples like Ares and Aphrodite or Perseus and Andromeda, Odysseus and Penelope, Admetus and Alcestis, you know, amid others that didn't fit because, again, they don't have Greek sources. It's a whole other issue. But see, again, these are happy couples, not couples with romance stories that have happy endings. Ares and Aphrodite, while I love them, don't really have a story of romance that ends well. Perseus and Andromeda, the same. Their story ends well, but it isn't about their romance. They just get married because he saves her. And Odysseus and Penelope, well, like on top of the cheating, the Odyssey is still about Odysseus coming home more than it is about any romance with his wife. Like, we would not describe the Odyssey as a romance. In Adventus and Alcestis, like, I mean, I guess it's closer, but in my books, it isn't romance when the woman dies because the man can't accept his own fate, even if she does come back to life at the end. The closest that people did suggest was the wonder that is Euripides' Helen, conveniently replayed for you all recently. When it comes to that one, though, not quite fitting what I want, at least. It's more about my own feelings. Like, I prefer to think of that play as one of about Helen's liberation and intelligence rather than her romance with her, like, dolt of a husband. Instead, I'm convinced that the consensus is that there are is no story that survives from Greek myth that can both be reasonably called a romance and has a happy ending. And that's kind of the fun of it in its own way, you know? And frankly, it fits this week's vibe anyway. Uh, so instead, we're looking deeper at a story that is entirely Roman, but also is so often listed as a Greek myth romance, but in addition to being entirely Roman, is also just fucking weird. (laughs) 
And rightly so, since Friday's conversation is going to be with an amazing PhD student, Imogen Briscoe. Oh my god, we <laughs> we had so much fun! Imogen is studying um, none other than, than Ovid's pickup artist manual, uh, the Ars Amatoria, that I, I think I... It was like two years ago that I shared stuff with you guys. Anyway, that's the absolutely bananas work. That's just utterly, it's it's, it's horrifying. Um, So it seems only right that if, you know, if Friday's episode is going to be about how horrifically disturbing and misogynistic that work is, then, you know, today's uh, can be similar. This is episode 248. He is not all that. Pygmalion the misogynist mythological incel. The passage that I read at the top of the episode is by a man named Clement of Alexandria. He was a Greek Christian philosopher writing in the 2nd century CE, and, well, he was pretty interested in criticizing paganism, which is where that passage comes in. He's speaking of people who fell in love with statues and is doing so by criticizing the pagan gods. And frankly, I just want to read it because it seems to have a nice little list of people who fell in love with statues, and even the guy who had sex with one, which we will get back to later. Phew. It is important to say that there are multiple references to a man coming on a statue. Because men. And do not nod all men me. If you are a man who wouldn't come on a statue, then you can just assume I'm not talking about you. This is where Pygmalion comes in. Now, Pygmalion is mentioned in a few texts just for being like a king of that area or, you know, being a father to somebody or other. But it is only in our precious Ovid's Metamorphoses where we get the good stuff. A story that is not so different from Ovid's Ars Amatoria, really. Now, I have told this story before, but so long ago in, like, a mini-myth, and it deserves so much more. And honestly, I just want to talk about it some more. <gasps> and the statues. We will get to the statues! Besides, uh, we have Stephanie McCarter's translation of the Metamorphoses now to be working with, and it feels necessary, not least because, oh my god, her translation of this story is so good. Pygmalion is ostensibly a story of romance. It has been painted and sculpted. It has been retold in poetry and fiction, plays and movies. Just a glance at the pieces of reception that are listed on its Wikipedia page gives you a very real sense of, of just how lasting and loved this story is and was and has been for millennia. There is a Dryden poem, a William Morris poem, Tennyson, and Robert Graves. That's just from the list of poems from England. There are poems on Pygmalion from Scotland and Ireland, Germany and Romania. The list of American reception is incredibly long. There are short stories by Nathaniel Hawthorne, Lovecraft, Updike, Borges, Asimov, and Madeline Miller. There are novels based on the myth. Things like Henry James's Portrait of a Lady. Didn't know that. Uh, the myth inspired Shakespeare's The Winter's Tale. The list is long. The most famous is probably George Bernard Shaw's Pygmalion, on which My Fair Lady was then based. Hell, hell even um, uh, Pete Wentz, a follow boy, no, yeah, millennial icon, I suppose, has a work listed on Wikipedia as being based on or inspired by Pygmalion. Like, 
Just the inspiration alone. The list of opera, ballet, and music is so long, I didn't even dive into it. And of course, there's screen adaptations of many of those works that were inspired by this myth. Countless Pygmalions, My Fair Lady, even Hitchcock's Vertigo is listed as being thematically linked. And of course, of course, the millennial powerhouse film that is Freddie Prince Jr. and Rachel Lee Cook's She's All That. All these stories told over thousands of years in countries all over the world. So many languages and authors, so much inspiration from this one short little myth that survives only in Ovid's Metamorphoses. A little story that at its heart is... Ah... A story about a man either creating a so-called perfect woman because he doesn't like the real women around him, or, as is so common in these inspired works, the story of a man changing a woman to fit his personal ideal of what a good and lovable woman has to be. That's so fucking romantic. It's no wonder my generation of women has to constantly work on building some version of ourselves that exists beyond the male case, beyond men's imagination of what we should be. Happy fucking Valentine's Day, am I right? So what is the actual mythological story of Pygmalion? This piece of work that inspired so many poets and authors and playwrights and screenwriters and directors. Surely it has to have been just beautiful and romantic to have inspired such an unprecedented volume of art over two millennia. It begins, quote, Pygmalion watched them pass their lives in crime, and outraged by the myriad faults that nature gave women's minds, he long lived on his own, without a wife, and shared his bed with no one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. We're gonna keep going before we pass judgment, right? Okay. Uh, I'm sure it's going to turn around into something beautiful enough to provide so many muses of inspiration to so many artists. Pygmalion, spending his life hating women for their very nature, their existence, and even every little thing that went on in their feeble little lady minds, decided to sculpt his own out of ivory. He was a talented artist, like all those who were inspired by him after the fact. So talented that when he sculpted, his ideal woman, he gave her, quote, beauty with which no woman can be born. Immediately after sculpting such a stunner, the ideal woman, the perfect specimen, well, of course, he fell in love with her, or rather it. It's a statue. His biggest qualm with women was their minds. That was made very clear in the story's first lines. So obviously, once he created the most beautiful woman to ever, well, I guess not live, I suppose, obviously he would fall in love with his own statue. Because she had no mind. She could not speak. She couldn't nag him or titter in his ear about silly, trivial things like women are wont to do. 
Pygmalion fell in love with his silent, mindless ivory statue. And as one does when one creates their ideal woman who in no way resembles reality, his first thought was, quote, She looks like a real virgin. Alive, you'd think, and wishing to be roused, if not so modest. This is like those AI images of quote-unquote traditional families where the nice, big, blonde, white family is smiling, but also everyone has six fingers and no teeth. You know? Pygmalion spends his days staring at his creation, at his perfect, silent woman. He loves her so much. He wants her to be real. But of course not real, because real women are garbage. He wants her to be real the way he sees her in his mind. Silent and without thought or opinion. The perfect woman. He wants this so badly that, quote, he often strokes his masterpiece to test whether she's flesh or that same ivory and won't admit that she is still ivory. The word stroke, I think, is doing a lot of work here. When his strokes prove that she is tragically still made of ivory he turns to kisses he kisses his statue and he imagines she's kissing back he talks to her rather talks at her (laughs) am i right and he holds her tight he imagines his fingers imprint on her flesh he worries he might bruise on that perfect skin of hers note he does not imagine her speaking back to him Only that she is fleshy. As his love grows, Pygmalion starts bringing his perfect faux woman gifts. All the things that girls like, obviously. Shiny, pretty things. Flowers and pearls. Gems and even, well, birds. Ladies like birds, right? He dresses her in in beautiful, rich clothes and jewelry. His perfect mindless woman looks the part she is fancy and put together she will impress all the other men the perfect woman is a woman who impresses men and keeps her mouth shut of course though he clothes her well (laughs) quote nude she is no less beautiful pygmalion brings his perfect woman to his bed he lays her down next to him Makes sure her head has a pillow beneath it, and he, um... Well, Ovid isn't explicit about what happens next. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve 
with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. for the festival of venus aphrodite on the island of cyprus the cities are full of celebration it's it's aphrodite's island after all where better to hold a festival to the goddess of beauty and love and sex there are sacrifices to the goddess and during one such sacrifice pygmalion stands next to the altar and he prays to the goddess quote if gods you can grant all things let my wife be, he did not dare to say, my ivory virgin. Like my ivory virgin. Aphrodite heard him. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. The flames of her altar shot up to the sky in confirmation. When the festival is over, Pygmalion heads back to his house and, quote, back home he seeks the statue of his girlfriend. He lays her down on the bed to give her kisses. 
and she seems warm. Yeah, this this dude is totally fine. He's definitely not a proto-incel who is objectively dangerous to the people around him. So he's kissing his statue on his bed as one does, and this time she feels warm. She even feels a little soft. Finally, the ivory does sink under his fingers as he's always imagined it might. It, it feels like wax softened by the sun. Very symbolically described, quote, A thumb can bend and mold it into many shapes as it grows more usable with use. Do you think that's only describing the feeling of softened wax? Well, Pygmalion, slowly realizing that his girlfriend statue, his perfect, silent, and mindless woman, whose only flaw was that he couldn't... Well, you you know what he couldn't really do. He couldn't fuck her. I'm not sure why I'm pretending to be coy. His only complaint was that he couldn't fuck her. Let's read between the lines here. But now... She is real! She's alive! Pygmalion feels her pulse... (laughs) and immediately sends out prayers of thanks to Aphrodite for so obviously heeding his request. And then, well, you know, he's got work to do. Quote, He kissed real lips at last. Feeling his kiss, the virgin blushed. Raising scared eyes to heaven, she saw her lover and the sky at once. And then, well, nine months later, a child was born. So, you know, But no, no, we are not told that she ever speaks a single word. She's still perfect, after all. A perfect, mindless, silent woman who's more beautiful than any other and is now, well, fleshy. So that, my friends, is the beautiful and romantic and heartwarming story that inspired so many artists and poets over two millennia. As someone who grew up watching My Fair Lady, and also she's all that. <laughs> I don't love it. It's not, it's not ideal. that was found on the island of Knidos in modern Turkey. It was believed to be one of the most beautiful statues ever created in the ancient Greek world. Of course, it was of Aphrodite, because who else could be so beautiful? Except, well, like, apparently a woman named Phryne, who was said to be the muse, the model even, for this statue by the famed sculptor Praxiteles. You might remember this name and this statue a little bit from a conversation I had at Towards the end of last year, Time is a Flat Circle with Melissa Funky. Go listen to that if you haven't. It was so good. Uh, (laughs) She was so famously beautiful that Plato wrote a line where Aphrodite herself saw the statue and asked when it was that Praxiteles saw her naked. That he was able to sculpt with, you know, such accuracy. Another poet said that while Praxiteles may not have seen the goddess naked, he instead created what he knew that Ares would have wanted to see. You you know the statue, probably, or like a copy of its pose. She's got her hand covering her bits, but otherwise, like, just letting it all hang out. 
But the original piece was, um, it was said to have a stain on it. And thank the gods, there is a work attributed to Lucian of Samosata. You remember him. He wrote about people going to the moon. It was amazing. Um, that presents a fictionalized visit to this temple where the statue was and the, these people viewing the statue. I'm not going to provide all the details of who they are, the story, but basically the story behind the stain is told to these people and it's good. So I'm going to finish off today's episode on men who want to fuck statues of women because they hate real women uh, by reading it to you. In the midst thereof sits the goddess. She's a most beautiful statue of Parian marble, arrogantly smiling a little as a grin parts her lips. Draped by no garment, all her beauty is uncovered and revealed, except in so far as she unobtrusively uses one hand to hide her private parts. So great was the power of the craftsman art that the hard, unyielding marble did justice to every limb. Caracles, at any rate, raised a mad, distracted cry and exclaimed, Happiest indeed of the gods was Ares, who suffered chains because of her. And as he spoke, he ran up and, stretching out his neck as far as he could, started to kiss the goddess with importunate lips. Callicratidas stood by in silence with amazement in his heart. The temple had a door on both sides for the benefit of those also who wished to have a good view of the goddess from behind, so that no part of her be left unadmired. It's easy, therefore, for people to enter by the other door and survey the beauty of her back. And so we decided to see all the goddess and went round to the back of the precinct. Then, when the door had been opened by the woman responsible for keeping the keys, we were filled with an immediate wonder for the beauty we beheld. The Athenian, who had been so impassive an observer a minute before, upon inspecting those parts of the goddess which recommend a boy, suddenly raised a shout far more frenzied than that of Caracles. Heracles, he exclaimed, what a well-proportioned back! What generous flanks she has! How satisfying an armful to embrace! How delicately moulded the flesh on the buttocks! Neither too thin and close to the bone, nor yet revealing too great an expanse of fat! And for those precious parts, sealed in on either side by the hips, how inexpressibly sweetly they smile! How perfect the proportions of the thighs and the shins as they stretch down in a straight line to the feet. So that's what Ganymede looks like as he pours out the nectar in heaven for Zeus and makes it taste sweeter. For I'd never taken the cup from Hebe if she served me. When Callicratidas was shouting this under the spell of the goddess, Caracles, in the excess of his admiration, stood almost petrified, though his emotions showed in the melting tears trickling from his eyes. When we could admire no more, we noticed a mark on one thigh, like a stain on a dress. The unsightliness of this was shown up by the brightness of the marble everywhere else. I therefore, hazarding a plausible guess about the truth of the matter, suppose that what we saw was a natural defect in the marble. 
for even such things as these are subject to accident, and many potential masterpieces of beauty are thwarted by bad luck. And so, thinking the black mark to be a natural blemish, I found in this too cause to admire Praxiteles for having hidden what was unsightly in the marble in the parts less able to be examined closely. But the attendant woman who was standing near us told a strange, incredible story, for she said that a young man of not undistinguished family, though his deed has caused him to be left nameless, who often visited the precinct, was so ill-starred as to fall in love with the goddess. He would spend all day in the temples, and at first gave the impression of pious awe. For in the morning he would leave his bed long before dawn to go to the temple and only return home reluctantly after sunset. All day long he would sit facing the goddess with his eyes fixed uninterruptedly upon her, whispering indistinctly and carrying on a lover's complaints in secret conversation. But when he wished to give himself some little comfort from his suffering, after first addressing the goddess, he would count out on the table four knuckle-bones of a Libyan gazelle and take a gamble on his expectations. If he made a successful throw, and particularly if ever he was blessed with the throw named after the goddess herself, and no dice showed the same face, he would prostrate himself before the goddess, thinking he would gain his desire. But if, as usually happens, he made an indifferent throw onto his table and the dice revealed an unpropitious result, he would curse all Canidos and show utter dejection, as if at an irremediable disaster. But a minute later, he would snatch up the dice and try to cure by another throw his earlier lack of success. But presently, as his passion grew more inflamed, every wall came to be inscribed with his messages, and the bark of every tender tree told of fair Aphrodite. Praxiteles was honored by him as much as Zeus, and every beautiful treasure that his home guarded was offered to the goddess. In the end, the violent tension of his desires turned to desperation, and he found in audacity a procurer for his lusts. For when the sun was now sinking to its setting, quietly and unnoticed by those present, he slipped in behind the door, and standing invisible in the inmost part of the chamber, he kept still, hardly even breathing. When the attendants closed the door from the outside in the normal way, this new Anchises was locked in. But why do I chatter on and tell you every detail the reckless deed of that unmentionable night? These marks of his amorous embraces were seen after day came, and the goddess had that blemish to prove what she'd suffered. The youth concerned is said, according to the popular story told, to have hurled himself over a cliff or down into the waves of the sea, and to have vanished utterly. Have I mentioned how much I love the ancient world? That's one of the most absurd things I've ever read. I, it was, <laughs> that was a joy. Thank you all so much for listening. This was a very fun episode to write to get me like back into the love of the show. And like, what a, 
I mean, horrifying story, honestly. Pygmalion, I mean. Uh, the other is mostly the most bizarre and hilarious thing I've ever read. Pygmalion, though, like, phew. Like, I am, I'm so thrilled to have had Stephanie McCarter's translation because I have a feeling that, like, maybe the men who've translated it in the past didn't necessarily see, like, all the levels of gross in Ovid's writing there. Like, it is wild. Uh, truly unhinged behavior. It reminds me way, way too much of the whole incel realm. The whole, the woe is me, no woman likes me. When the truth is that it's because they want to be able to treat women like mindless, voiceless statues. Like, no, they don't like you. Don't be awful. <laughs> and now that I'm back writing regular episodes, um, we are also back to reading a five-star review from one of you amazing listeners. Honestly, I haven't gotten many new ones lately. Um, This one's quite old. So, you know, like, feel free to leave one to make my crumbling life just, like, a little bit brighter. No pressure, though. This review comes from a user called GreenyGirl21 from Australia. The catapult of my love into Greek myths. I have loved Greek mythology since I can remember, but when I discovered Liv's podcast many years ago, my obsession truly began. I've been listening to Liv's podcast since pretty early on and have listened to her grow and evolve with every year. I used to enjoy the myths, but I've since learned so much about ancient Greece and beyond with Liv's constant educational content and conversation episodes. Not only has this podcast brought me so much joy throughout the years, but I often feel like I'm having a conversation with her myself while listening. A number of years ago, I had the pleasure of traveling to Greece, working on farms and backpacking through some of the most mythological historical places on the mainland. The whole time Liv was with me in my headphones, and that felt pretty special, not to mention here. Um, that review was a fucking joy. Thank you. Like, thank you so much. I read that also, like, I, it's old. So I read it during a particularly dark level of sad uh, last month and it helped a lot. Uh, and I couldn't wait until I was writing again so I could read it on the show. So truly, whoever you are, greenie girl, um, thank you so fucking much. Let's talk about Miss Baby is written and produced by me, Liv Albert. Michaela Smith is the Hermes to my Olympians, better known as the assistant producer. Laura Smith is now the production assistant and audio engineer. Select music used in this episode was by Luke Chaos. The podcast is part of the iHeart Podcast Network. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Help me continue bringing you the world of Greek mythology and the ancient Mediterranean by becoming a patron where you get bonus episodes and more. Plus, you just help me. Visit patreon.com slash mythsbaby. Click the link in the episode description. I am Liv, and I love this shit. Like, even when it's absurdly, wildly ridiculous misogyny, because, like, fuck knows I want to share it so we can make fun of the problematic men together. Like a team. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. 
Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.